Top 50 unexplained mysteries. Audiobook baffling discoveries that can't be explained. Matrix wisdom. Subscribe. It's like 11 hours long. They played a significant part in human development then, since then, and possibly might still be doing so today. Indeed, the Zulu tribes of. 50 baffling discoveries that science can't explain. Matrix Wisdom YouTube channel documentary. Have myths and legends which speak of star travelers landing on Earth to mine for resources. The fact that flying gods and vehicles are mentioned throughout the world's ancient mythologies cannot be explained adequately by today's historians. This is mainly because they have boxed themselves into a corner by informing us that none of these ancient cultures had contact with each other. Even today, the people of India believe they are descended from gods who came to earth in fiery chariots. They called these beings Devas, and thought they originated from star systems far away from our own. This is backed up in their ancient Ramayana, Mahabharata, and Bhagavata Purana scriptures, often referred to as the oldest writings on the planet. They all offer extensive chapters on vehicles that could effortlessly fly through the skies and even into space. On Earth, these spaceships were known as Vimana, and operated by mechanical means, but on other planets, they worked through sound vibrations. According to the earliest Chinese writings, very ancient rulers descended from the heavens in fire-breathing dragons, which is how an ancient aircraft or spaceship would be described by people of the world who had never seen anything like these crafts before. In Tibet, the Kantua tells remarkable tales of transparent sphere-type objects protecting the gods as they descended from the skies. These mysterious spheres are called pearls in the sky, and are used by the inhabitants of distant planets to travel vast distances across the universe. <laughs> also noteworthy is that the book says the first seven kings of Tibet came from the stars. In fact, nearly every wow. significant culture believed that gods or heavenly the beings stars. had created us. Just ask the Aborigines of Australia, the Dogon tribe of Mali, the ancient Egyptians, Chinese, Greeks, and Romans, all of whom believed the same thing, that gods from the sky had created humanity. Is this a remarkable coincidence, or is there some truth to it? Furthermore, a recent study also shows the sophistication of the human brain was not a slow, steady evolution like once thought. At some point in time, the genes responsible for the complexity and size of the brain rapidly evolved. Strangely, only humans experienced this change. Non-human primates and mammals did not, and stayed on their long, slow, steady evolution. Why the sudden change, and why only humans? Were the ancient gods responsible for these changes, just like the Sumerian texts told us they were? Another study suggests we could have the genes of at least 20 different extraterrestrial civilizations in our DNA. However, science has fought to keep this fact secret in the hope that we remain ignorant of our extraterrestrial heritage. Hidden among these genes, almost superhuman abilities may be lying dormant, only giving us a glimpse of our actual power on rare occasions. For example, 
We have all experienced premonitions from time to time. If you have experienced the phenomena once, one could argue that it is always there. We just don't know how to awaken these extraterrestrial genes permanently. After providing us with the genes necessary for our advancement, they gave humanity all the tools required to build temples, pyramids, and other incredible buildings. Their reason for doing this might not be as innocent as you think, considering many of these constructions were places of worship. The very fact that they wanted humanity to revere them should be viewed with suspicion. These extraterrestrial interventions might be much more significant than we think, because it sure seems as though they might have led to the eventual creation of many of the world's major religions. It could easily be said that these religions led to the pitting of one group against another. Whether this was an unforeseen consequence, or whether it was planned that way, is certainly open to debate. That an alien race would act like gods would certainly make tremendous sense if their goal was to secretly rule over humanity. Stories from around the world show how easy it is to trick a civilization. A lot of y'all have been asking me how to get your $540 yeah, a month health benefit no, card shipped directly to your mailbox, you. and I, uh, I just want to make this little tutorial for y'all. for my page. All over humanity. Stories from around the world show how easy it is to trick a civilization into thinking the gods had arrived. This is known as a cargo cult. Many examples can be found. Notably, when American soldiers were stationed on some of the more remote Pacific Islands during World War II, the local residents thought they were gods. It would not be long until local Pacific Islanders started turning up with replica planes which they had seen the so-called gods travel and landing in. The same reaction can clearly be seen in the weird carvings the ancients left us, gods with wings, and sometimes looking like modern-day astronauts. It could also be argued that these extraterrestrials did not enhance our DNA simply to enrich our lives, but rather to make theirs easier. This would be especially true if we believed the stories of how they came here to exploit Earth's resources. Yep. In closing, Roll it cannot be a coincidence that so many Roll cultures a, uh, talk about the same gods from the sky, nor slaves. that most of them Slavers. say these mysterious visitors will return. However, as the saying goes, beware of strangers bearing gifts. Chapter 46. The Book of the Dead. The ancient Egyptians left us with many unsolved mysteries, including the most famous of all, the Great Pyramid of Giza. Scientists still can't fully explain the who, why, or when of this giant edifice thousands of years later. But these are not the only baffling ruins in Egypt. The country is literally full of mysterious temples, pyramids, and tombs. So many, in fact, it's easy to forget the Egyptians also left us a collection of writings that are just as bewildering, if not more so. The most well-known of these is a stunning collection of texts handed down from the priests of ancient Egypt for thousands of years, the Book of the Dead. The book was written by one of Egypt's most famous ancient gods, Thoth. The Egyptians thought of Thoth as the wisest of all deities, which is not surprising considering he was god of knowledge and the written word. 
He was also the scribe of the underworld, recording verdicts on the deceased after the weighing of the heart ceremony. It should be noted that the Book of the Dead is a modern name, which became popular around 1842 when Carl Richard Lepsius published a translation of the text and coined the phrase Book of the Dead. It's, not it's more book accurate of the dead. title is Chapters of the Coming Forth by Day. Wow. It isn't Chapters really a book either. It is a day. massive collection of formulas, Chapters spells, hymns, magical words, and prayer divided into 200 chapters. Their day. primary purpose was to guide the deceased on their journey through the underworld and onto the afterlife. Wow. Chapters of the coming There are passages in this book that explicitly state they were only for the eyes of a select group of people. For example, one excerpt reads, Let not the eye of any man whatsoever see it. It continues, It is an abominable thing for every man to know it. Therefore, hide it. Does this mean that they were initially intended to be read by the gods only? It certainly sounds that way. Of course, we are talking about the original texts here, not the ones corrupted by the pharaohs of later ages. The origins of these texts could be much older than initially thought, and may also be enshrined in the Great Pyramid itself. In 1888, English Egyptologist Wallace Budge purchased a perfectly preserved copy dated 1500 BC. The manuscript came from an 18th dynasty tomb near Luxor and measured an incredible 78 feet in length. After translating the text, Budge was convinced the writings were of pre-dynastic origin, brought to Egypt by a long-since-forgotten civilization. Just who these people were remains a mystery. But what we do know is that from the moment they arrived, Egypt began to experience significant changes in many areas but perhaps most notably in construction. The most obvious examples are the Great Sphinx and the Great Pyramid, which appear to have sprung up from nowhere. The Great Pyramid is such a masterpiece, it has never been repeated, despite numerous attempts by later generations. Whoever these influential people were, they should not be classed as Stone Age, since iron was found in the Great Pyramid's original structure. This, of course, means that iron was used in Egypt thousands of years before previously thought. But, alas, this fact is rarely mentioned by our modern Egyptologists. Just how old could this unknown civilization be? If we look at recent studies conducted at the Great Sphinx enclosure and on the Great Pyramid itself, we could be looking at dates like 10,000 BC which most historians thought were impossible. This leads us to ask, is it possible that humanity is was advanced possible? long, long ago during the so-called Golden Age? Almost every culture in the world has ancient tales of an age where humankind shared the earth with God. If the original writings were only intended for the gods, it indeed suggests they were on earth at some point during the past. If we were advanced, what might have happened? Numerous theories have been proposed, like a flood, earth crust displacement, or a comet impact. Perhaps it was a combination of these events that led to the fall of humanity. If we were forewarned of such an event, what would we do? 
wouldn't we try to preserve our knowledge in an indestructible building? According to several researchers, this is precisely what the ancient people did with the Great Pyramid of Giza. This was, in fact, the true purpose of the Great Pyramid. It was a giant repository. But where did the knowledge come from? According to this theory, it came from the original teachings contained in the Book of the Dead. This theory was first proposed over 126 years ago by respected Egyptologist Walter Marsham Adams. Adams suggested that the Great Pyramid's numerous intricate passageways and chambers were totally unnecessary if the purpose of this giant edifice was to act as a tomb for a pharaoh. Hence, he believed they were symbolic in nature and could only be explained by the Book of the Dead. Adams suggested that the original teachings refer to an ideal structure and the passages and chambers within that structure. Hence, the passages and rooms within the Great Pyramid precisely followed those laid out in the Book of the Dead. The theory gained credibility when highly respected French Egyptologist Gaston Maspero supported the idea, saying, The Book of the Dead and the Giza Pyramid can reproduce each other, one in stone and one in words. The theory was suggested again in 1929 by author Basil Stewart in his book, The Mystery of the Great Pyramid. To find out if they were right, we will have to open the pages of this mysterious book and see if we can find parallels between the various passages and chambers inside the Great Pyramid and human destiny. One of the most notable connections between the Great Pyramid and the Book of the Dead comes from the Egyptian name of the Great Pyramid itself. They called it Tarkut, meaning the light. According to the Book of the Dead, to reach the afterlife, the deceased had to journey from the light of the earth to the light of the eternal day. The connection between Egypt's most revered book and its most famous monument is impossible to ignore, as each illustrates and penetrates the other. Adams said in his book that, as we peruse the dark utterances and recognize the mystic allusions of the book, we seem to stand amid the profound darkness enwrapping the whole interior of the building. The passage continues by saying, no sooner do we tread the chambers of the mysterious pyramid than the teaching of the sacred book seems lit up as with a tongue of flame. Numerous legends relate to writings found either inside or outside the Great Pyramid. Others claim, as suggested earlier, that the pyramids were built in preparation for a coming cataclysm, either by water or fire. This theory apparently comes from an Arab writer named Abu Masa Balki, who lived from the 10th of August 787 to the 9th of March 886. Balki, an astronomer by profession, claims that the outside was covered in texts, including one from the builder himself, King Saurid. It read, I have built them, and whoever considers himself powerful may try to destroy them. Let him, however, reflect, to destroy is easier than to build. The next writer to propose this theory, or something similar, was Al-Masuk. Hola, chica. Have you ever wondered why laundry detergent comes in massive, inconvenient plastic jugs? Who wants that? It just takes up shelf space in the store.
Mamacita, ¿qué pasa, chica? Sí, yo los veo. Muy bonito, qué linda, qué linda. Yo me quiero mucho. Yeah, they certainly do. Sí, es verdad. Sí. <clears throat> Little chickies. Here's here's a um, breakfast when you're cuando cuando lista. Cuando lista I um Por supuesto, ¿qué pasa, chica? Si tú no te levantas nunca tan temprano. Oh, John, uh, oh, okay. Sí, ahí, uh, um, sir, uh, cuando, cuando lista hay uh, comida aquí, ¿ok? Eh. Cuando está lista usted, eh. cuando lista hay comida Ay. aquí. Voilà. Y para los para pájaros. Y también para los pájaros. Un chiqui chiqui chiqui. Un chiqui 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 chiqui. William sale hoy, eh. No. Todavía no. Todavía no. Todavía no, no viene. No. Uh, más, uh, más, más tiempo pa porque es muy uh, serioso. Accidente. Oh, yo. Accidente. Pero cada día más buena. ¿Eh? Cada día más buena. Cada día más buena. Sí. I get some of these turds off here. What's up with this podcast anyway? What's up with the podcast? Uh, oh, hello, podcast. Um, where did that go? That was fascinating stuff. Their meaning changed relatively yeah. quickly. If we look at the Great Pyramid today, we can see that it has been subject to earthquakes, floods, and is that the book says the first seven kings of Tibet came from the stars. In fact, nearly every significant culture believed that gods or heavenly beings had created it. Just ask the Aborigines of Australia, the Dogon tribe of Mali, the ancient Egyptians, Chinese, Greeks and Romans, all of whom believed the same thing, that gods from the sky had created humanity. Is this a remarkable coincidence? Or is there some truth to it? Furthermore, a recent study also shows the sophistication of the human brain was not a slow, steady evolution like one thought. At some point in time, the genes responsible for the complexity and size of the brain rapidly evolved. Strangely, only experienced Non-human primates and mammals did not, and stayed on their long, slow, steady evolution. Why the sudden change? And why only humans? Were the ancient gods responsible for these changes? 
Just like the Sumerian text. Another study suggests we could have the genes of at least 20 different extraterrestrial civilizations in our DNA. However, science has fought to keep this fact secret in the hope that we remain ignorant of our extraterrestrial heritage. Hidden among these genes, almost superhuman abilities may be lying dormant, only giving us a glimpse of our actual power on rare occasions. For example, we have all experienced premonitions from time to time. If you have experienced the phenomena once, one could argue that it is always there. We just don't know how to awaken these extraterrestrials. After providing us with the genes necessary for our advancement, they gave humanity all the tools pyramids and other incredible buildings. Their reason for doing this not be as innocent as we think, considering many of these constructions The very fact that they wanted humanity to reveal them with suspicion. These extraterrestrials might be much more significant than we think. Because it sure seems as though they might have led to the many of the world's major religions. It could easily be said that these religions led to the pitting of one group against another. Whether this was an unforeseen blueberries or whether it was a blueberries certainly open to that an alien race could act like God would certainly make sense if their goal was to secretly rule over humanity. Stories from around the world show how easy it is to trick a civilization into thinking the gods have died. This is no mamacita. Many examples can be found. Notably, when American soldiers stationed on some of the more remote Pacific Islands during World War II, the local residents thought they were gone. It would not be long until local Pacific Islanders started turning up with refugee planes which they had seen the so-called gods travel and landing in. The same reaction can clearly be seen in the weird carving of the ancient flesh, gods with wings, and sometimes looking like modern-day actors. It could also be argued that these extraterrestrials did not enhance our DNA simply to enrich our lives, but rather to make them easier. This would be especially true if we believe the stories of how they came to exploit us resources. In closing, it cannot be a coincidence that so many cultures talk about the same gods in the sky, nor that most of them say these mysterious visitors will return. However, as the saying goes, beware of strangers bearing gifts. Chapter 46, The Book of the Dead The ancient Egyptians left us with many unsolved mysteries, including the most famous of all, the Great Pyramid of Giza. Scientists still can't fully explain the who, why, or when of this giant edifice thousands of years later. But these are not the only baffling ruins in Egypt. The country is literally full of mysterious temples, pyramids, and tombs. So many, in fact, it's easy to forget the Egyptians also left us a collection of writings that are just as bewildering, if not more so. The most well-known of these is a stunning collection of texts handed down from the priests of ancient Egypt for thousands of years, the Book of the Dead. The book was written by one of Egypt's most famous ancient gods, Thoth, 
The Egyptians thought of Thoth as the wisest of all deities, which is not surprising considering he was god of knowledge and the written word. He was also the scribe of the underworld, recording verdicts on the deceased after the weighing of the heart ceremony. It should be noted that the Book of the Dead is a modern name, which became popular around 1842 when Carl Richard Lepsius published a translation of the text and coined the phrase Book of the Dead. Its more accurate title is Chapters of the Coming Forth by Day. It isn't really a book either. It is a massive collection of formulas, spells, hymns, magical words, and prayer divided into 200 chapters. Their primary purpose was to guide the deceased on their journey through the underworld and onto the afterlife. There are passages in this book that explicitly state they were only for the eyes of a select group of people. For example, one excerpt reads, Let not the eye of any man whatsoever see it. It continues, It is an abominable thing for every man to know it. Therefore, hide it. Does this mean that they were initially intended to be read by the gods? It certainly sounds that way. Of course, we are talking about the original text here not the ones corrupted by the pharaohs of later ages. The origins of these texts could be much older than initially thought, and may also be enshrined in the Great Pyramid itself. In 1888, English Egyptologist Wallace Budge purchased a perfectly preserved copy dated 1500 BC. The manuscript came from an 18th dynasty tomb near Luxor and measured an incredible 78 feet in length. After translating the text, Bud was convinced the writings were of pre-dynastic origin, brought to Egypt by a long-since forgotten civilization. Just who these people were remains a mystery. But what we do know is that from the moment they arrived, Egypt began to experience significant changes in many areas but perhaps most notably in construction. The most obvious examples are the Great Sphinx and the Great Pyramid, which appear to have sprung up from nowhere. The Great Pyramid is such a masterpiece, it has never been repeated, despite numerous attempts by later generations. Whoever these influential people were, they should not be classed as Stone Age, since iron was found in the Great Pyramid's original structure. This, of course, means that iron was used in Egypt thousands of years before previously thought. But, alas, this fact is rarely mentioned by our modern Egyptologists. Just how old could this unknown civilization be? If we look at recent studies conducted at the Great Sphinx enclosure and on the Great Pyramid itself, we could be looking at dates like 10,000 BC, which most historians thought were impossible. This leads us to ask, is it possible that humanity was advanced long, long ago during the so-called Golden Age? Duh! Yeah. Almost every culture in the world has ancient tales of an age where humankind shared the earth with gods. If the original writings were only intended for the gods, it indeed suggests they were Maybe the Roman the church killed the last... The if we were advanced, God. what might have happened? Numerous theories have been proposed, like a flood, earth crust displacement, or a comet impact. 
perhaps it was a combination of these events that led to the fall of humanity. If we were forewarned of such an event, what would we do? Wouldn't we try to preserve our knowledge in an indestructible building? According to several researchers, this is precisely what the ancient people did with the Great Pyramid of Giza. This was, in fact, the true purpose of the Great Pyramid. It was a giant repository. But where did the knowledge come from? According to this theory, it came from the original teachings contained in the Book of the Dead. This theory was first proposed over 126 years ago by respected Egyptologist Walter Marsham Adams. Adams suggested that the Great Pyramid's numerous intricate passageways and chambers were totally unnecessary if the purpose of this giant edifice was to act as a tomb for a pharaoh. Hence, he believed they were symbolic in nature and could only be explained by the Book of the Dead. Adams suggested that the original teachings refer to an ideal structure and the passages and chambers within that structure. Hence, the passages and rooms within the Great Pyramid precisely followed those laid out in the Book of the Dead. The theory gained credibility when highly respected French Egyptologist Gaston Maspero supported the idea, saying, The Book of the Dead and the Giza Pyramid can reproduce each other, one in stone and one in words. The theory was suggested again in 1929 by author Basil Stewart in his book, The Mystery of the Great Pyramid. To find out if they were right, we will have to open the pages of this mysterious book and see if we can find parallels between the various passages and chambers inside the Great Pyramid and human destiny. One of the most notable connections between the Great Pyramid and the Book of the Dead comes from the Egyptian name of the Great Pyramid itself. They called it Tarkut, meaning the light. According to the Book of the Dead, to reach the afterlife, the deceased had to journey from the light of the earth to the light of the eternal day. The connection between Egypt's most revered book and its most famous monument is impossible to ignore, as each illustrates and penetrates the other. Adams said in his book that, as we peruse the dark utterances and recognize the mystic allusions of the book, we seem to stand amid the profound darkness enwrapping the whole interior of the building. The passage continues by saying, No sooner do we tread the chambers of the mysterious pyramid than the teaching of the sacred book seems lit up as with a tongue of flame. Numerous legends relate to writings found either inside or outside the Great Pyramid. Others claim, as suggested earlier, that the pyramids were built in preparation for a coming cataclysm, either by water or fire. This theory apparently comes from an Arab writer named Abu Musa Balki, who lived from the 10th of August 787 to the 9th of March 886. Balki, an astronomer by profession, claims that the outside was covered in texts, including one from the builder himself, King Saurid. It read, I have built them, and whoever considers himself powerful may try to destroy them. Let him, however, reflect, to destroy is easier than to build. The next writer to propose this theory, or something similar, was Al-Masudi, 
an Arab historian who lived from 896 to 956. Masudi claims that Surid bin Salhuk built the pyramids at Giza after receiving a vision from God of an almighty flood that would take place 300 years later. King Surid then directed his priests to deposit all the knowledge of the previous ages, including art, sciences, and wisdom teachings within the pyramid to ensure they would survive and be passed on to future generations. And he filled them, the pyramids, with talismans, and with strange things, and with riches and treasures and the like. You could say it was a vault whose purpose was to protect antediluvian books and artifacts. But what is rarely mentioned is that the historian believed that it was not just a repository for past events, but for future events too. Wow. Wow. Al-Masudi said it contained information on every future event which would take place in Egypt. Al-Masudi also said in his many writings that the Great Pyramid was inscribed oh. with figures depicting oh. the planets and star systems. But even before the Arab writers, Roman soldier and historian Armianus Marcellinus, 330 to 400, informed us that the Giza Pyramid was once covered by inscriptions. Marcellinus also told us that these inscriptions were on the inside. Their purpose? to prevent ancient teaching from becoming lost in an ancient cataclysm. A fascinating narrative is provided by Josephus in his Antiquities. Josephus declares that the descendants of Seth set out for Egypt after perfecting their astronomy methods. Once there, they embodied their findings in the construction of two pillars or monuments, one in brick and the other in stone. Might one of these have been the Great Pyramid? Interestingly, almost all the traditions agree that the Great Pyramid's construction was pre-deluge and was built to preserve knowledge. They chose the pyramid design for several reasons, the main one being that it can withstand almost any assault, whether it be from man or Mother Nature. This ensured the preservation of their wisdom far better than any written word or spoken words could, since words can be altered and their meaning changed relatively quickly. If we look at the Great Pyramid today, we can see that it has been subject to earthquakes, floods, and explosives. In fact, just about everything that can be thrown at it has been, and yet it remains in almost perfect condition. Therefore, it seems to have been an ideal choice. Intriguingly, many people believe the authentic teachings could contain the answers to some of the world's greatest mysteries. To recap on this theory, the writings we see today in the Book of the Dead are a watered-down version of the original. The original was written by and for the God's eyes only. To protect the knowledge contained within these teachings, they built the Great Pyramid. Therefore, it is also suggested that the only authentic version of the Book of the Dead is encoded into the Great Pyramid. Identifying these gods has always been difficult. Even answering whether they were fully human or perhaps another type of being altogether is just as tricky. If this building is ever truly decoded, it could lead to some of the most significant discoveries we are ever likely to see. It could reveal the true nature of our universe, the actual age of humanity, and even what the future holds.
To anyone out there now who is trying to find hidden meanings within the pyramid, we urge you to keep trying, because you might find a lot more than you bargained for one day. Chapter 45. The Dropa Disc. The Bayankara Ula Mountain, on the border that divides China and Tibet, is one of the most isolated areas on Earth. The mountains rise to over 17,000 feet, and even the valleys below are 7,000 feet above sea level. Archaeologists have found evidence of human habitation here that goes back to the earliest prehistoric times. The mountains are packed with winding crooks, nooks, and cave entrances formed millions of years ago. However, for us, the story of the Drupa stones does not start millions of years ago. It begins in 1938 with the Chipu Te expedition. Chipu Te was an archaeology professor at Beijing University whose primary interest was studying the prehistoric civilization that once lived in these mountains. During an expedition in 1938, Te and his students were hiking through the mountains when they came across an interesting-looking cave entrance. As they ventured inside, they realized that it was more than just caves. It was a complex system of manufactured tunnels. What Tay and his team observed in these remote caves could be the most significant discovery of all time. It is a highly unusual story, and, if verified, could transform everything we understand about our distant past. The cave walls were decorated with sculpted pictograms with the dotted paths connecting the stars, the sun, the moon, and the earth. The pictograms seemed to be part of a star map or chart of some kind. The walls were perfectly cut in a square shape and vitrified as if cut into the mountain with an intense heat source. Inside the caves were well-organized burial sites with the remains of strange people scattered around the area. The remains were of frail and spindly-type people with oversized heads who measured a little more than four feet. At first, some of the students guessed that the caves had been home to a previously undiscovered primate species. But this idea was rejected when some of the remains were found buried. While searching through the cave, one team member stumbled upon a large round stone disc half buried in the soil on the cave floor. As the team crowded around the discovery, one pointed out that it looked like a sort of Stone Age gramophone record. The disc measured roughly nine inches in diameter and one inch thick. In the middle was a perfectly circular hole one inch in diameter. An extremely fine spiral groove inscribed with hieroglyphs radiated to the edge. Clearly, this was made by the hand of an advanced civilization. But it was not the only one. In total, 716 dishes have been discovered, wow. each one with different characters. Each one is a is like in a, a way the artifacts were records yeah. in more ways than one. History. However, at this stage, nobody Four. could decipher its incredible message. The discs were labeled along with the rest of the expedition's findings and kept at Beijing University. Incredibly, the discs oh, and cave yeah. drawings were dated at 12,000 years old. This is the same age as Gobekli Tepe, the oh. oldest human-made edifices ever discovered. Where are these caves? In 1945, one of these discs mysteriously resurfaced. 
A Polish professor named Alexander Lolodov claimed to have purchased one from local tribespeople at the foot of the Himalayas in a town called Musuri. Lolodov showed the peculiar stone disc to English scientist Dr. Carol Robin Atten and described how the Drupa people had used it for religious rituals. Intrigued by the disc, in 1947, Robin Evans set off to the mysterious land of the Drupa. After traveling for months through some of the most unfriendly terrains on Earth, he finally reached his destination. Once there, Robin Evans was introduced to Lurgan La, who taught him the basics of the Drupa language. Lurgan La told Robin Evans that the Drupa had initially arrived on Earth 20,000 years ago from a star in the Sirius system. They returned in 1014 AD, but their craft had encountered difficulties which meant they were stranded, unable to leave Earth. This story was published after Dr. Robin Evans' death in 1974. However, he recounts the visit as occurring in 1014 AD, but all other sources give a date of 10,000 BC. This disparity remains unexplained so far. In 1962, Professor Tsum Um Nui heard about the discs and set out to decipher their meaning. He and his co-workers quickly realized that the spiral grooves were not insignificant drawings, but instead an astonishingly ancient text, almost microscopic in size wow. and engraved in a way that has never been seen before or since. <laughs> As stated earlier, the discs are 12,000 years old. Therefore, we could be looking at the oldest known script in the world. Wow. Sum Um Nui, with the help of a microscope, carefully started trans... My gosh. Shape-shifting device is quickly becoming the most popular father's shape shift of 2022. It replaces up to 90% of measurement tools, giving data faster, more affordable way to finish... Help of a microscope carefully started transcribing the characters of the disc on paper. Once the text on the disc was reproduced, Professor Sumum Nui began the laborious task of deciphering their meaning. Ultimately, after four years of experimenting and exchanging illustrations for words and phrases, he began to reveal some of the writing. Having done this, he devoted himself to assembling the discs in some sort of order. Eventually, a word appeared, then another. Next, a phrase became apparent, then a whole sentence. Nice. He had cracked the code. Nice. The story on the record was simply unique. But the story the stones related was nothing short of sensational. The professor wondered how would his co-workers respond, and how might the world react when his findings were released. The professor passed the transcript and his conclusions on paper and presented it to the university for publication. However, their reaction was immediate and emphatic. The report would not be published. At this point, one must ask the questions, what did the disc say that was so controversial the paper was immediately banned? How could primitive people make such detailed records? How did they create almost microscopic writing on stone? What? What the fuck Who happened here? Who were these mysterious people? And why did they create these records? Stupid Guitar Center called me. Dr. Tsumonui's report was ultimately published. Just two years they later, don't want you to hear he this. published an incredibly it's long title paper, 
The group trip concerning spaceships which, as recorded on the disc, landed on Earth 12,000 years ago. It is not known if the publisher published despite the official How do they ban, know they're 12,000 years the old? the Academy relented and allowed the publication of the paper. In either case, his theory and his translation were met with disdain by the archaeology community. Give me a fuck In 1965, some of the remaining discs were carefully cleaned and sent to Moscow for examination. Their scientists made two unexpected discoveries. Firstly, the stones were made of granite and contained extremely high concentrations of cobalt and other metals. This would be, by anyone's standards, a very hard stone indeed. For the primitive people to have carved the lettering, particularly with such tiny characters, would have been impossible. Secondly, when testing a disc with an oscillograph, they were found to vibrate in a strange rhythm, as though they were part of an electric circuit or carried an electric charge. In 1965, the Anglo-Russian magazine Sputnik ran an article written by the Russian philologist Yashislav Saizev telling the story of the discs, their composition, and an extract concerning what had been revealed by Professor Tsumum Nui. And now we can see why this story was buried. The discs tell the tale of a spacecraft from a far-flung planet that landed in the mountains of Bayankaraula. One of the hieroglyphs reads, The dropers flew down from the clouds in their gliders. Our men, women and children took to the caves many times before sunrise. When at last we understood the language of the dropers, we realized that the newcomers had peaceful intentions. So, the crew of the spaceship sought refuge in the mountain caves. Although their intentions were friendly, members of the Ham tribe, who, occupying the neighboring caves, were fearful of the new arrivals. When the Ham tribe eventually understood their language, they allowed them onto their territory. The discs also record the Drupa being incapable of repairing their spaceship, and how returning to their home planet was impossible. The story does not end there. As far as we know, an Austrian engineer by the name of Ernst Wegerer reported and took pictures of the last known sighting of the Nitropa disc. While on a visit to the Chinese Banpo Museum in Xi'an, Wegerer saw discs that included holes in the center and hieroglyphs in grooves that displayed a spiral pattern. According to the Austrian, the discs were in a bad stage of decay. According to the curator, there was hardly any information on the stones, except that they were apparently cult objects. That would be a bad state of decay. However, according to Wegerer, she Fucking was granite. knowledgeable about every other clay artifact in the <laughs> museum. When Wegerer requested more information from the authorities, there was none forthcoming. If Wegerer's account is to be believed, the museum manager allowed him to handle one of the discs. He did relate that the disc weighed approximately two pounds and was one foot in diameter. However, the pictures he took do not show the fine details of the spiral grooves and hieroglyphics. A few days after Wegerer had toured the museum, the manager and the two discs disappeared forever. This summary was reported by a director of the museum in 1994, Professor Wang Ziyun. So, have their descendants endured? The word drupa or drupka actually exists and is still
still used by some groups of nomadic inhabitants of the Tibetan highlands. According to the Gould Parkinson method of transliteration, Drupka means inhabitant of pastureland, solitude, or isolated in the Tibetan language. The caves of these mountains are today occupied by the Ham, and strangely enough, the Drupa tribe. A rather unusual fact is that anthropologists have not been able to classify either tribe into any known race. They have neither Chinese nor Tibetan heritage. They are frail, with large pale blue eyes, hardly any hair on their bodies, and four feet tall, with an average weight of around 45 kilos per adult. This description compares remarkably to the remains found in the cave in 1938. Apparently, there also is an old Chinese story that strengthens these claims. The tale describes small, thin people who were shunned by everyone because of their uniqueness. The legend goes on to describe how these beings descended to the earth from the clouds. The Dropa stones offer an exciting puzzle for archaeologists and anthropologists, whatever their precise origin, nature, or meaning. Is the story of the Drupa merely a creation myth imagined by a primitive culture, or are they truly visitors from some distant planet? If the former is true, it adds to the already large number of myths that claim our descendants came from the heavens. And if the latter is true, the Drupa stones could represent the first documented visit of an unknown civilization to our planet. However, for now, the Dropa stones remain unexplained. Chapter 44. The Baltic My researchers love uh, There have been know, many Kevin McCarthy discoveries play. over the last few decades. But what Swedish divers found off the coast of Sweden. Hold on. Uh, might just top the lot. It is without question one of the most bizarre deep-sea discoveries ever made. ...team called Ocean X was scanning the floor of the Baltic Sea looking for shipwrecks. At a depth of 83 meters, sonar picked up a 985-foot flattened-out runway that seemed like it had been scooped out of... within an area scientists call the dead zone, which is rapidly growing in size and now covers approximately 70,000 square kilometers, roughly the size of Ireland. Nothing can live in these waters. From the beginning, scientists and the media have given wildly different opinions of this oddity. For example, the two-tier structure has been called everything from an underwater stone to an ancient portal. But now, the object has finally been identified as a 14,000-year-old terrace monument built by the highly advanced Atlantean civilization. When divers returned to the site in 2012 with a remote-operated underwater vehicle, they discovered some of the geometric features presented by the enormous disk-shaped temple. The object measures 60 meters in diameter, 8 meters in height, and appears to have a very smooth finish, unlike the rocky surfaces they usually encounter on the bottom of the sea. 
One important detail, often not mentioned in interviews or press releases, is that the object is black and looks like it has been subjected to extreme heat. In the southwest corner is something that looks like a staircase. Each step has the exact same dimension. The most conspicuous man-made geometric structure on this massive step platform monument is a significant hemispherical dome feature with an estimated width of 3 meters, a length of 10 meters, and a height of 1.5 meters. Political and social commentary, the freedom to oppress the rights of other people is not liberty, you shit-eating moron. The smell of freedom of speech. This is the Tony Michaels Podcast. And this is Tony Michaels. Hey, Tony. Fuck him. Welcome back to the Tony Michaels Podcast from our New Year's break. It is Tuesday, January 3rd. And Kevin McCarthy still does not have 218 votes. This is going to go well past the first ballot. There's no question. Uh, Kevin McCarthy is the loser leader of the loser party. A fraud party. And in the 11,000-year-old party of fraud. Listen, everyone is wondering why this morning. All the great media pundits out there are wondering why this morning Kevin McCarthy doesn't have the votes. There's one person that is responsible for this. Only one is responsible for what is going, what we are going to watch happen live today on the floor of the House of Representatives. Only one, Donald J. Trump. That is who is responsible for this. Frankly, he is the engineer of what is going to happen, of the chaos that is going to happen today. It is my belief. Donald Trump is causing all this division intentionally. He's getting Marjorie Taylor Greene to support Kevin McCarthy. He's getting Biggs and Boebert and Gats to go against McCarthy. He needs someone to blame. I don't know if you've paid attention to his fraud social account. Over the last 24 hours, you probably haven't. Grandpa Poopy Pants, the Cheeto Dust QAnoner, still talking about how it's not his fault in the 2022 midterms. Well, if they're voting for a speaker for the majority of the House today, wouldn't you consider that a win? It's not a win for them. The reason why is because, number one, they do not know how to govern. They don't know how to do it. Number two, they have no real leaders. They're not policy makers. They are chaos makers. That is what they do. Democrats elect policy makers. Some chaos members. Republicans have nada, zero, zilch policy makers. They are all, all of them, every last fucking one of them. If yours and our next to your name, you are a fraud and a chaos maker. That is what you are. You are part of the America First Nazi Party, and you will and sh- will not, cannot do anything but lose. And we should be here for it. This morning, you should be cheering for democracy. You are watching 
the the political party that wants to tear down our democracy not be able to function inside of it. Seen this morning at the Capitol, some people are going to say, oh, this is bad for our democracy. This is bad for our country. No, it is not. It is not bad for our country. It is not bad for our democracy to watch the one party who wants to tear it down, who wants to get rid of it, not be able to operate inside of it. We keep doing interviews of constituents in New York's third that voted for George Santos, and they're completely disappointed that they were duped and, and defrauded of their vote. It's not just you in New York's third. It's in every fucking district that voted for Republicans. They're all frauds. George Santos just is an amateur at being a fucking liar. Normal Republicans, Ted Cruz, Jim Jordan, Donald Trump, Matt Gatz, Lauren Boebert, Dan Crenshaw, Andy Biggs, Kevin McCarthy, Mitch McConnell. The list goes on and on. They're professionals. George Santos, you're an amateur. That's the difference. Have it, you made it to the big league without having the talent, my friend. You're just not that great at hiding your lies and stacking your lies on top of each other. You're just not that good at it. Other Republicans are much better. Today, today we get to see right out in the open how inept, how disorganized, how ununited the Republican Party really is. And again, it's one person at the heart of this. Only one that is responsible for what is going to happen on the House floor today. Donald Trump. Why do you think he backed Kevin McCarthy? He backed Kevin McCarthy. So he, if Kevin McCarthy gets to 218 or receives enough votes to become speaker, either way, depending on if people vote present or not, depending on how many ballots we go to, he picked him so he could say, I picked the winner. And if Kevin McCarthy doesn't get the votes today, Donald Trump isn't going to blame it on himself. He's going to blame it on Kevin McCarthy, just like he's blaming the midterms on pro-life Republicans now. And that was his that was his fucking delusional, deranged rant over the weekend. That somehow it was the pro-life Republicans that lost them the 2022 midterms. No, it is your entire party. And it is you as the leader of the party that made it to where there was no red wave because this country doesn't fucking like you. We don't want authoritarianism. We don't want it. You can fuck off with that shit. You can gerrymander districts all you want to try to win a four-seat majority in the House, but now Kevin McCarthy is reliant, reliant upon George Santos, the most obvious fucking fraud that's ever been He's been sworn into Congress. He's going to swear him in just so he'll...
Kevin McCarthy gets the votes today. I don't know how many ballots he's not going to get in this first ballot. I don't know if you watch some of the clips and maybe uh, Biggs and Boebert. And basically, Kevin McCarthy uh, canceled all concessions that he made to his speakership. He finally realized what I was saying was true. He finally realized it. He, if he would just come watch my fuck, if half these motherfuckers would just come listen to this show, they would know what is going to happen. I said weeks ago that Kevin McCarthy was going to have to trade away his entire speakership. Entirety. He wasn't going to act. You're listening to Tony Michael's podcast and 50 baffling discoveries. As they start to vote for speaker, and here's how it's going to work. It's a voice vote. Okay, so they don't have to have 218. They have to have the majority. As long as members are voting present. Now, no Democrat's going to vote present because they're not going to make it easy on these motherfuckers. There may be a few. There may be a few Republicans that vote present. My guess is is that on the first ballot, though, it's going to be their protest ballot. They may protest for at least three or four ballots. Kevin McCarthy, I guess, got into a screaming match with them and has has vowed to stay on the floor and keep the floor open for as long as he needs and do as many votes as he needs today to become speaker. His goal is to walk away with this without adjournment. <laughs> Someone said, uh, oh, Galen says, Ted, Ted Lou brought popcorn to the house floor. Listen, get out your fucking pocket. This is going to be fantastic today. We got Texas Paul. We got Gabe Sanchez. And we are going to watch the new Kaput show. You should cheer as they do not know how to do democracy. Local Aymara people. And the reason why is because the American people need to know. Without a doubt, the reason why they shouldn't put Republicans in power are not policymakers. They're not representative of your of your fucking values and your principles and your ideas. They're only in it for one motherfucking thing. And McCarthy, Trump, Santos, every single one of them is a prime example of what it is. It is only about their power. That's why they turn authoritarian, because they only care about their power. Oh boy, what a day to come back. What a day to come back from our break. I hope you had a great New Year's. I want you to do a couple things for me. If I could ask a favor. We're going to go to a break and we'll bring Texas Paul. They got uh, George Santos on the screen here. What do you think he's texting? What do you think he's texting? You think he's texting his lawyers? <laughs> are, his, are his team of lawyers? He's got to have an international lawyer now. He's got to have a lawyer for his state investigations. He's definitely going to want a, a lawyer for his federal investigations. He's yawning. He didn't get any fucking sleep last night. Holy shit, this guy. According to early chronicles, the walls of you're the best audience in the world, so I know you can take care of this. If you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, do it now. Do it now and share this YouTube channel with your family and your friends. Another
Mighty favorite Texas Paul when we come back right after this. We'll be right back. Mark 60 seconds. This is the Tony Michaels podcast. Are you numb and alone after storming the Capitol? Have you been left out in the cold after stealing Nancy Pelosi's mail? Do you feel exposed to a government that doesn't share your patriotic values? If any of these describe you, then you're in luck. Hi, I'm Paul Gosar, and thanks to my new product, Pardon Blanket, I've got you covered. Pardon Blanket specifically works to make you feel safe and cozy after your involvement on January 6th. And if you're one of the other members of Congress who also helped with the attempted coup, Pardon Blanket will protect you too. Pardon Blanket is made of a sort of soft fleece and a layer of sheep's wool. And they're 100% made in the USA. Don't delay and get your Pardon Blanket today for just $99.99. Actual pardons not guaranteed. Jumping back into it, this is the Tony Michaels Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the show. Steve Scalise is walking around the house floor. <laughs> maybe, maybe trying to whip votes for himself. I don't know. Maybe. And because this is a voice vote, so they can vote. I thought they can vote for Mickey Mouse if they want Texas Paul. It doesn't matter. They can vote for Mickey Mouse. They can vote for Donald Trump. They can vote for whatever character they would wish. Here is the uh, here's the image from the House floors, Texas Paul. Um, we got police walking around. Looks like he's uh, you know back clapping here. Um, we know that these police might be in the running uh, for some of these votes. Voice votes. Now, Kevin McCarthy has to get a majority of the votes, Texas Paul, on the floor. Um, and he can get votes um, for the majority of the members if people vote present. Or they just don't vote. Because you don't have to vote during a voice vote. Now, here's right. Kevin McCarthy. Um, and and it's a majority of the entire House. It's not right. a majority within his caucus. It's Right, it's, exactly. It's... Well, because well, uh, uh, he was saying it this morning um, about Matt Gatz, that Matt Gatz wanted Hakeem Jeffries to be speaker, which, I mean, I don't think really it's kind of delusional to think that that would happen, but it is a possibility, as slim as it may be, that there would be, I don't know, um, you know, a half a dozen Republicans actually want a leader and vote for Hakeem Jeffries as the as the Speaker of the House so they can actually get some stuff done and they can avoid a government shutdown in September. Because really, honestly, it doesn't matter what Republican becomes the Speaker here. Whoever is the Speaker, because Donald Trump is the one who wants to have the power over the Speaker, right? That's why he's done what he's done with Kevin McCarthy, um, with the never Kevins, I guess you'd call him. 
and then he's gotten he's gotten Trump supporters to support Kevin. And it's all a show. This is all a fucking show. It's all it's all planned chaos, just like January 6th was when they were wanting to hang the vice president. I mean, basically, they might as well just be chanting hang Kevin McCarthy today, because what they're trying, what Donald Trump is trying to do is position himself to where he has control over the House of Representatives. And what I mean by that is shadow control. Um, but Kevin McCarthy this morning did something that he should have done weeks ago when I told him to do this, was actually tell them with their concessions that they wanted, uh, with their demands that the Republican caucus wanted. He told them to fuck off this morning. I mean, in so many words, which he should have done. He should have done weeks ago when I told him that was going to happen. And people need to understand that the the the, the fight here, it, why he's getting so much fight from somebody like Andy Biggs or Matt Gates or you know just you know Marjorie Taylor Green sucking his ass and all that stuff. I mean, it's just the reason that this is happening is if the Republicans go back to trying to participate in our government. There's no place for Matt Gates. He's like a Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz does not is not involved in legislating. Everybody hates that son bitch. Nobody's going to deal with them. You know, it, Matt Gates is the same way. Lauren Boebert, my God, you think she's going to be involved in in drafting legislation for Christ's sake? You know, no. They have one existence in this government, and that's to be assholes. And and and. That's what they're trying to hold on to in the Republican Party. They're like you say, Donald Trump is trying to keep the the asshole legion marching so that he's got a shot in the future. And it's just they don't give a shit about the country, Tony. They just don't. Well, I mean, they they want to destroy our democracy. That's why the democracy is destroying them. I mean, essentially, you know, it, it, that's just the way it's going to work. And they're not going to have much. Um, they're not going to have much success when they don't want to participate in how our democracy works. Trying to make it work for them to destroy it, right? Whatever they're trying to do, they're trying to use democracy to destroy our democracy. Um, yeah, it's, you know, exactly my point that, that you're you're making. The exact point that I'm trying to get out there much more eloquently than I was is that if the Republican Party starts to participate in democracy again, these people have no place and they're fighting for their very survival. Because what is, where does Matt Gates have any place in a functioning democracy? What does he contribute at all? Well, I mean, I don't know if a Venmo account qualifies as a participating and, and being a, a good steward of democracy, but I don't think it does. Okay, all of these um, are cool. Get out! Here we go, the clerk's... Uh, Madam Clerk. Stefanik's going to speak. I rise today to nominate the gentleman from California, America's new Republican majority. So you just heard uh, Elise Stefanik nominate Kevin. Texas Paul, the enthusiasm in the room doesn't seem high. No, it doesn't. It does not. It, it, it's really just a shame that these, these, they were able to 
uh, you know, although the election was fantastic in our favor, the folks went out there and did an amazing job. It is just a shame that uh, that the Republicans are even in this position, even the, with the slimmest majority that they have. It's just. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, I, that might, I'm having loading problems over here. Mm. Uh, here, here we are back to the house here we go this radical far left agenda to hold joe biden accountable and to save the united states of america under kevin mccarthy's leadership house republicans drafted a bold vision to put our nation back on track our commitment to america is a promise to the american people that this new republican majority will stand up for an economy that's strong a nation that's safe a future that's built upon and swear in george santos accountable to the people accountable to the people with the lies and the fraud that george santos has told Kevin McCarthy is the proud son of a firefighter and a fourth-generation and the worst crime rate in country's history. American spirit to work hard and dream big. This spirit that built our great nation is what we need in our next speaker. Kevin McCarthy is a strong conservative. He looks nervous, Texas Paul. Pro-life. Supporter of our Second Amendment rights, and he is committed to stopping wasteful government spending and shrinking the size of government. When Republicans last held the majority, Kevin helped to reduce domestic spending and lower the tax burden on hardworking American families. And, and cheated on his wife with a member of the House. Kevin has taken the fight to one-party Democrat rule on behalf of the American people. He helped bring this historic border crisis to the Opening national Opening day, 118th Congress. A crisis Kevin made sure Democrats could no longer ignore. He fought for and succeeded in repealing the ill-advised... military COVID vaccine mandate. And he stood on this very floor and spoke for a record eight hours and 35 minutes to not only delay the vote in the House, but to make the case that ultimately defeated Joe Biden and House Democrats' dangerous build back broke legislation. Oh, my God. Did you notice the difference between this and when Nancy Pelosi was was selected speaker? Go they ahead, didn't talk about they didn't talk about Republicans when Nancy Pelosi was right, selected speaker. Right. They, 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 all these people, I mean, she must have said the word Since Democrat the two dozen times already. Leader, House Republicans mm-hmm. have only gained seats and won, while Republicans in the Senate and state legislatures lost seats. House Republicans looks like Ronnie Jackson's been on the sauce last won. night. You see him there? Kevin knows yeah. Eyes are a little squinty there, aren't they? I felt that like that last week Thursday. Kevin has done the work of listening to all Americans. 
traveling to nearly every district in this country, fighting for conservative values and fighting for the people that, we, that are committed to upholding them. Kevin has shown up in these communities of every member in our conference, and I can guarantee he has shown up in the districts of our many of our colleagues across the aisle as well. His relentless efforts has yielded an extraordinary new House Republican majority that represents our country's greatness from all walks of life. Sending when the last this to Miami Herald in two years ago, every Marika new Bedems. Republican welcome to our conference was a woman veteran. Yeah, yeah under Kevin McCarthy, we pissed on their red wave. Is the most diverse Republican <laughs> conference in our nation's history. AFT Union, Stephen Colbert. They seem really enthusiastic. Yeah, an experienced leader, a friend to so many of us, a proud conservative with a tireless work ethic. Kevin McCarthy has earned the speakership of the People's House. Madam Clerk, as the chair of the Republican Conference, it is my high honor to present our conference's nominee for election to the office of Speaker of the People's House, the Honorable Kevin McCarthy from the state of California. And I yield back. <laughs> I tell you, the fact that this is Elise Stefanik doing this is just perfect. Bernie oh, Sanders, yeah. Rolling Stone, Democratic the, you know, the, the, the lady that brought us George Santos is bringing us Kevin That's just hilarious. Well, the other thing, too, is, you know, you think there's something in the uh, in the idea that, that Kevin McCarthy is a representative from that liberal state of California? Do you think there might be something at play here as why, um, why people can't stomach him? Because they get these delusional ideas, right? Now, let's go to Pete Aguilar. Let's see what Pete has to Hakeem Jeffries of New York. Much more enthusiasm. Much more enthusiasm. I want to point yeah. out. They're excited about their leader. It, it is almost like Nancy Pelosi made sure of this. And, you know, I know a lot of people don't like to hear this because we fight Republicans pretty damn hard. And there's a hand. of them out there that aren't complete turds in the punch bowl. Back in the 90s, we had people switch parties a lot. We need to get back to that. We need to be courting some of these Republicans that are sick of this shit. <clears throat> I'm going to call. I'm calling fucking Congress right now. United by a speaker who will put people over politics. Hakeem Jeffries has worked his entire life to improve economic opportunity for all people. He is committed to strengthening the American dream by lowering costs for working families, oh, building safer communities, George by taking weapons of war off <laughs> streets, and by creating good-paying jobs in industries of the future. Any of these and Republican kinds are just that. They're fucking kinds. Weird. He didn't say Republican years. once. House hey. Democrats are united behind a speaker who wants to make things in America and bring home jobs that have been shipped overseas to write a tax code. Much more enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Texas Paul, 
the majority of politics is performance, and the Democrats are performing here and making sure that the American people know that Democrats are way more enthusiastic about their speaker nomination than Republicans. All right. Democratic caucus chair. Say that again, my friend. Representative Pete Aguilar, Democrat, California, 31st District. Huh. Yeah, fuck you, Republicans. Who is an unapologetic advocate for protecting and expanding. our freedom he does not traffic in extremism oh he does not grovel to or make excuses for a twice impeached so-called former president yeah boom god damn blam motherfuckers aguilar going for the throat here Madam Clerk, he does not bend a knee to anyone who would seek to undermine our democracy. <laughs> I love this guy. This is how democracy works, folks. You're watching democracy right. live Fucking and in finally, person. Someone... Because, Madam Clerk, that's not what leaders do. Because he understands what great leaders of this house understand, that this body and this institution are best equipped to serve the needs of this democracy and the beautiful mosaic of the members it sends. That our responsibility as members of this body is to protect the American dream and honor the sacrifice of the generations before us. Like the sacrifice of a mother and a social worker who borrowed against her pension to put her children through school. Mom and dad were determined that their children would graduate without any debt so that they could pursue their dreams to the best of their ability, no matter the hardship or the sacrifice. Today, Hakeem's leadership style is quite simple. Spread love. <clears throat> Tweeting this. It's the Brooklyn way. I love the chaos. <laughs> Trump is watching this and swearing his head off. He's going to make sure. a great speaker, by the way. Texas ball. Ha, ha, ha. Katie Porter smirking. The one hell of a speaker Akeem Jeffries is going to make. 
Yeah, he's Imagine a scrapper. He's a real scrapper. Mm -hmm. And he understands started. how it works. The right. Southern reps are still in D.C. voting right. and participating in government with the union. Unreal. That is what we are seeing right now. The first home that their parents ever bought, thanks to their collectively bargained salary, and it's where they live today. It was in this house where his younger brother saw a future leader, where his mother saw a thoughtful, passionate young man, and where his father saw a competitor is real. whose GPA... <laughs> This is historical. Popcorn, Jeffries. His Isn't family Soto, always now at his the side. <laughs> some here with us today and some watching from home. Somewhere Mom and dad, Kenny, JJ, Joshua, and his younger brother, Dr. Hassan Jeffries. Mrs. Jeffries and her husband told their sons, Jeffries it is doesn't so matter what you do, but it has to be done in the service of people. And that's how Hakeem will lead. He's going to serve all of us so that we can best serve the American public. That selflessness, that commitment to success of those around you is what shaped his career and what sh will shape our joint future together. He knows success isn't about personal achievement. He's a leader who will be with you in the beginning. Chartstein Republicans, cunts, cunts. <clears throat> Whether it's your bill and an important priority in your district, he'll ride alongside you as you do the work. And he'll be there at the end to see you through because he knows that our success means that we can raise the quality of life for our constituents, creating better jobs and building safer communities. He has guided every step of the way by his faith, and his mom, his mom instilled in him. Sunday mornings weren't always easy in the Jeffries house. The young man who knew he wanted to be a lawyer would argue with his mom about going to church that day. But failure is a good teacher. He lost those arguments, and now Hakeem goes to church every weekend, sometimes that one where his church family is at Cornerstone Baptist, or somewhere else in the district where he can meet his constituents where they are. He remembers that after church on Sundays, he'd go to Nano's house, where there was an open door at his grandmother's house for the entire neighborhood and their elders to come through with food and conversation. A young Hakeem listening to everything but usually just trying to catch the score of the Jets game. <clears throat> this game. This okay, is where wisdom gets passed down. And now guided by the faith and wisdom of leaders like Jim Clyburn, Greg Meeks, John Lewis, Steny Hoyer, Nancy D'Alessandro Pelosi. Gabe Sanchez is joining us. Classy, man. 
as the Democrats applauded. Jeffries and Nancy Pelosi they gave much more enthusiastic uh, Pete Aguilar is uh, whipping up the Democrats here on the House floor but let's take a listen who will open the door to the new generation of leadership Madam Clerk, a Latino is nominating for leader of this chamber a black man for the first time in our history I don't see many uh, Republicans standing up for that. I don't see one of them. Nope. Madam, Madam Clerk, that's progress, and it's progress that the country wants to continue for this Congress and for our country. Therefore, as chair of the Democratic Caucus, I am directed by the vote of that caucus to present for election to the Office of Speaker of the House of Representatives for the 118th Congress the name of the Honorable Hakeem Jeffries, representative-elect from the state of New York. So there we see a much more enthusiastic, unified, right? Just, I mean, to have enthusiasm behind your your leader, your the nomination of your leader, I would say means something, right? Uh, I guess we lost Texas Paul there, maybe. Um, he'll be back. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it really, it really does tell you something. I mean, like the Republican Party has been pointing fingers and trying to find part. excuses the, for the reason why the red wave was a red tingle. They've had no, they've had no legitimate reason that they've been able to actually put forward. Other than hugging lost. And the Honorable Hakeem Jeffries, a representative elect from the state of New York, have been placed in nomination. Are there further nominations? Here we go. Here's where the drama may begin. As, as if we don't have drama already. Uh, Paul Gozar is going to speak. The traitor is going to speak on the House floor here. The power doesn't reside in the speaker. It doesn't in the majority of the minorities, nor the whip. The power resides in we, the people, the people who entrusted us here, each individual member, to represent their district, their state, and the federal government. Washington's broken. We're the last ones to know. Wise person once told me, good process builds good policy, builds good policy. I want to put a meme in here of January 6th and say, diss you? Diss yeah. you? Is that how, that how Washington's broken, Paul goes? Are you pile of shit? Andy Biggs for Speaker of the House. Thank you. <laughs> here we go. Oh, they're really enthusiastic, too. Yay. Are there further nominations?
Saying hi to an old friend. <clears throat> okay, wait. What was that? Sign on a message. Let's see, Stiggy. Yes, I did share the post. How you doing? Uh? Rads. Hello, Trist of our Congress. Thank you for reaching out. Please email. Okay, here. Info at women's march action dot com for cues, questions. Yes, great. <clears throat> Boyle, that's Women's March. Um, okay. I think I should, uh, I think I should call Congress. Pete, Pete Aguilar's office. And then that's going to be on my other podcast. So if you don't hear it, then ha ha ha. You can go to my other podcast. Thanks for 100 followers on my second most important, uh, you know, I'm, I'm dual podcasting right now. And uh, partially because uh, the folks at DHS, namely um, Kevin, Brad, and the dicks at the other dicks at DHS, like Richards, you know. Um, but they're literally dicks too, because they're suppressing all my communications and, and other names. And I have to do a cease and desist fucking statement every time. And, and then, and I'm asking them, I'm going to tweet the president and DHS, CC DHS. <laughs> Say, Hey, you know, for my birthday present, can you please this year, can you guys please stop fucking harassing me with, uh, constant uh um uh by putting me in a captive portal they put me in a fucking captive portal geofencing me and basically suppressing all my communications and granted yeah there's a patriot act and and uh there's shit we can do especially because they just passed legislation that that uh we can be we can be uh fucking we can be fucking arrested or, or uh, you know, like <clears throat> anywhere, anywhere that's near a hundred year, a hundred miles from a fucking border, which is most of America. <laughs> um, anywhere within a hundred miles can be uh, invaded. Basically, it's a way, it's a way to uh, further 
you know, erode our civil rights. We don't have fucking civil rights in this country anymore. I should write about that. Could write an essay about that. In this country anymore. Yeah, say goodbye to all that shit. <laughs> That'd be a good song too. Put it in a song of Savannah's Nuts. So, um, so it's not such a uh, dark message, right? Uh, so we don't have civil rights in this country anymore. Wait, no. We don't have. Um, you can kiss that shit goodbye. You can kiss that shit goodbye. You can kiss that shit goodbye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Motherfuckers. Okay, yeah, where were we? <clears throat> um,. Oh yeah, I was gonna call. Um, I'm gonna call.